Hello and welcome to Mastermind Growth, where we share the wisdom, the insights and the stories from business owners. My name is John Cassidy Rice, and I have the pleasure to be your host for this week's podcast. I'm your local Federation of Small Businesses Membership Advisor, meeting and supporting local businesses. Today we have Cheryl with us. Hello, Cheryl. Hiya, thanks for having me. Oh, it's a real pleasure. Thanks for taking time out to do this. I know how busy life gets. Yeah, it's a joy. I, I, I listen for a living, so if someone gives me a chance to talk, I'm in there. Excellent. <laughs> So let's get you talking. Tell us about your business and what you do. So um, my company is called Step by Step Listening, and I'm also known as the Listening Detective. I haven't put my hat on for you today, but just so you can see it. Um, so and what do I do is I, I'm a professional listener, and I'm also helping people understand when they're at their worst, um, when they get to that point where they're in overwhelm and they're really frustrated, and they they're intolerant of their own reaction. You know when you just you know you're behaving not very well. And you want to get from where you are back to your best. Um, there are eight different kinds of listening. And so I work with people to help them understand what kind of listening, what kind of feedback, what kind of questions they need personally when they're at their worst to get them back to their best. Um, and many don't know that there's different kinds of listening. So they start talking and then they get a reaction and a response that doesn't work. And then they start feeling quite isolated and alone because it's like, well, talking isn't helping as much as everyone says it's good to talk. If they talk and they just feel worse, eventually they become quite... Um, stuck it's like well if I talk and it doesn't make me feel better and not talking doesn't make me feel better what am I going to do to get from where I am now um, and so my job is to work with them to help them understand what's happening to settle their brain state in order to get back to that that gorgeous place of curiosity where they can love and work at their best more of the time powerful stuff it is it's a joy before we dive a little bit deeper into that I'd love to hear your story your journey about how you got to what you're doing well, we did say before we came online, it's like when you've, anyone asks you that story, it's like, do you want me to go back to when I was three years old or do I go back to when I'm 10? So I'm going to go back to um, 2006, which is when I signed up for my coaching diploma. And I'll just give a little bit of a background to why I started doing that. Um, May 2006, I'm sat in an auditorium um, in, to, with the coaching academy to find out about personal performance coaching. And what got me there is because I was working in the slimming industry. I worked for Slimming World. I was a consultant for seven years. And I've, I've, from a really young age, I've always been fascinated about how do I need to be to motivate somebody else to be happy and to achieve what they want to do. And I think I did it from a young age with my mum. I did it when I was at school to get the teacher's approval. I then did it for my bosses. Um, partners etc so it, it, it's something that's been in my dna all the way along the line but with the slimming world i i was getting some great feedback great results with people in the first three or four years people losing five six stone even to this day now i still have people commenting on facebook who knew me 17 years ago that said there's never been someone that can motivate me like you did cheryl so i knew how to motivate people but when they were coming back four years later having gained more weight than they had the first time round. I felt I wasn't doing my job and I started getting curious about what else did these people need in order to make that change more permanent, to make it, um, uh, yeah, to make it a more permanent change in behavior. And I was having loads of conversations outside and there were things like, um, I was noticing that when people gave them loads of a praise and said how gorgeous that some people loved it and other people, that attention meant they went back and put the weight on rather than, so they needed to be able to be able to have this feedback that they were lovely and they were gorgeous and they were wonderful in order to be able to stay with that new sense of who they were. Equally, there was other conversations about partners that were thinking they were going to leave them because they were now confident and slim. And it's like, how do you reassure your partner that you still love them, that you're not going to go anywhere? So there was all these conversations going on. And I was like, I don't know how to help them with this. So I went searching for the answers. Um, 
Now, what I didn't know then that I know now is obviously I also needed that, you know, when you go and learn for the, the stuff you just teach other people that you need to learn. Um, I'd actually left my husband in 2003. So this is 2006. And I went on this coaching diploma weekend. And I, at that moment, I was, I was sat next to a, a, is an auditorium with 800 people. And you had to talk to your partner, this person, a complete stranger next to you for two minutes about something you were proud of. And at the end of that two minutes, they were going to describe you in one word. And there was, there was one of many ex exercises and activities we did that weekend. Um, but I was t I was talking to her about how um, proud I was that I'd left my husband. Um, my mum's one of seven and nobody in my family was divorced at the time. And I felt, you know, it was quite a big thing to do that when nobody else had done it. I felt a bit of a failure, to be honest. So I'm telling this lady about all this, how proud I was of myself. And at the end of it, she described me as courageous. And I can still feel how that word landed in my heart. It was like, it was like somebody had seen a part of me that I'd lost sight of, that I they they could see because I was saying this story outside about how great I was, but inside, I was saying how terrible I was as a wife and if I'd done more, if you know, and without being too crude or don't embarrass anybody, you know, I slept with him more often. If I'd done it like this, maybe the marriage could have worked. You know, maybe we could have make it work. Now, there's no animosity to my husband. His dad had died. He was grieving. I had childbirth and the, the surgery didn't go particularly well. Between the two of us, we really were struggling. We didn't know how to support each other. We didn't know how to support ourselves. We didn't have the help that we needed. Um, but there I was telling a story to somebody that I was really proud of leaving the marriage because it wasn't working. But internally, I was really beating myself up with being such a terrible wife and I should have been able to make it work. And this one person with one word replayed back to me absolutely transformed the way that I was experiencing myself. Um, and so that started the journey. That was £3,000 I parted with that weekend to start my coaching training. And £30,000 later... I'm still investing and still learning about the art of listening and discovering that we've all got all different triggers and patterns and we need different kinds of listening at different times in order to access the best parts of us. Um, so that's kind of where it started. But I guess the, the catalyst really came that as a result of being coached, because if you're going to learn to be a coach, other people have to practice on you. So you get people are asking you questions all the time about what you'd like to have happen. What I discovered was if money was no object, I would be a stay at home mom and I wouldn't even be working, which I had no sense of. I didn't know that. Um, but I was a single parent and I needed to keep the mortgage over the heads. So that wasn't an option. But what I did discover is that one of the things that was really important to me was to start to feel safe in my life. And my ex-husband still kept coming in the house, kept, he did it twice. Um, he came in at 6.30 one morning and 9.30 another night. So it was always this antisocial time. He'd sneak in creep up behind me in the kitchen and just remind me that he owned half the house still and so I, I I decided to that coaching program that one of the things that I had to do is get to the point where I owned my house again um, and that I could buy him out so I went from being self-employed as a consultant to being an area manager that was employed with Slimming World in order to get the salary to be able to buy him out and um and basically that started a journey of then using this with um, business owners, the 25 franchisees, helping them to grow their businesses. And at the same time I got the job though, my mum got diagnosed with terminal cancer. And so that was in September, 2006, and she passed away in November. And in that short period of time that we had together, it was four hours every day, we had one of those relationships where every time I saw her, I'd come back and go, why did she say that? Why can't she just be nice? Why, why, did, why did, you know, and I was always irritated by what she did or didn't say or what she didn't do. I always took everything she said so personally. 
And because of the coaching training, in those last few weeks and months of her life, we spent four hours having really helpful and honest conversations that we should have had like 20 years earlier. And if only we'd known how to listen to each other without judgment. And I found out things about her that I had no idea about because I'd been too busy going, why did you do that? Instead of going, how did you do that? How did you look after three kids when dad was away for 18 months at the time? How did you get to all of our clubs when you didn't even drive a car? How did you do, you know, cookery and craft classes with us? And, you know, how did, and I discovered things like, I was always a working mum trying to do cookery Monday nights and craft clubs Tuesday nights. And my kids were always tired and miserable. And we were talking about it. She said, you do know we only ever did them in the school holidays, don't you? And I was like, oh, there's me. I, I sort of mapped it out in my head. This gorgeousness I remembered as a child was like it was happening all the time. And then I was getting really frustrated with myself because I wasn't as good as my mum. And of course, then I was projecting that on everything she said or didn't say that she thought I wasn't good enough. But it was my map of the world and what I determined to be a good mother based on what I thought she had done rather than what she actually had done as a parent. So there was huge learning that came from that. And so um it, well what actually what happened is I, I obviously I was really angry when she first died that nobody had taught us how to listen I was gutted to go from knowing I was loved to truly feeling loved like the day before she left and it was I was so annoyed that the world hadn't taught me to listen like that and so in I did what some lot of people did I buried my head in work and I actually got burnt out by May 2008 I was absolutely 70 hours a week 70 days a week I was just working rather than not thinking about how angry I was and as a result of getting the burnout, I then got bored because I was at home and had nothing to do. So I decided to finish the coaching diploma. And I actually set the company up by accident because the last coach, the last module of the training was how to set up a coaching practice. And as I'm a really good compliant girl, I just did as I was told. I didn't consciously think I'd like a business. So the next thing I know, I'm coming up with a name and a website and I've niched as a mums and daughter relationship coach. And all I can say is the next 12 years I've spent, it, they didn't need to just know how to listen. They needed to how to find time to listen and they had to have the courage to have the honest conversations that needed to be happen. And so that took me on a journey of learning how to do conflict resolution within yourself and with other people, which was a whole different kind of listening other than just coaching. And so that's how I started. And that's kind of how I got here today. So my big driver is that um, after four years of mums and daughter coaching, what I discovered was that the big driver why the women weren't able to listen to the children at home is because of the pressure at work. That they, they never had time to, so they, they were always that fear of like, if I start that conversation, it's going to be all emotional. They're going to get upset and I'm not going to have time to sort it out. So I've only got half an hour. So I can't, can't have that conversation now. So they never had enough time to have the really important conversations. And so I spent a lot more time actually working with them, managing themselves and their time so they could have time for those conversations they wanted with people. And what I discovered is when I marketed mums and daughters directly, I often got them when they were self-harming and suicidal. And that was tough um, because it was, if I, I can help and I do help people at that level. But um, what I discovered is if I could get them in the business world and I could help them manage their time, I could prevent it rather than getting there after, after the event. Um, and, and for me personally, I, I actually then had to take my own advice. I think that's one of your other questions, actually. I'll stop. It was something about one of my biggest challenges 
is in 2012, I'm really successful, helped 50-odd women, had uh, emails every day about how gorgeous their relationship is and thanking me for this. And I'm coming home to my own daughter screaming at me, I hate you, you're a waste of time, you only ever listen when you're paid. And then when I don't listen, I, you know, well, can't you be a normal mother and just give me an opinion? And then when you give her an opinion, she doesn't like it. So, you, you know, so you're getting all this feedback from everybody else about how wonderful you are, but you feel a fraud because your own daughter hates you. And to the point that she ended up living on the streets and taking drugs and alcohol and self-harming herself. Um, and it was that point when I was at the really bottom of the crux. And my big lesson was you have to take your own advice. Because when I hit the bottom and I said to my husband, I can't do this anymore. I can't go out and network and I feel a fraud. I can't go out and tell people I'm a mum's a daughter relationship coach when my own relationship was falling apart. And, um, and he goes, what would you tell your clients to do? And I said, get one of me. And it was like that light bulb moment when you go, oh, because you can do a lot of this work yourself. You can read books. We talked about this offline. Read books. You can coach yourself. You can journal. There's a lot you can do up to about 80% of the work you can do on your own. And most of my clients could do sort of clarity and confidence work on their own. But if you're not getting the change on your own, you need somebody outside of the system that can notice things that are outside your conscious awareness. And, and I'd been too scared to ask for help because I thought it would destroy my business. But me not asking for help was destroying my business. Yes. And it was it was pinnacle for me. Um, and that day in 2012, I started attending my own pro program. So my husband took me through um, level one. My team of facilitators, which I had five at the time, took me through level two. And I went back to my mentors and trainers who took me through level three. And so I, I told, told them what I wanted the course to, I told them what they had to do because it was I'd created the course and I wanted it to be followed what I knew worked. Um, and thankfully, uh, three years later, my daughter's now 25 this year. We have an amazing relationship. In fact, she is one of my best coaches ever. Um, and we've learned a lot about why we were triggering each other. And it's been gorgeous to be able to go on that journey. But it was three years of um, hell. <laughs> That's all I can. <laughs> it was, you know, I had to celebrate the fact that this time she went for three minutes before she screamed at me. But last time it was two minutes. And then I had to go, it's five minutes today. So instead of like, oh, my God, she's gone off in one again. It was like we managed to go three minutes this time before she went off. And this time it was five years or sometimes even me going off. Because sometimes I was the one that was losing it. Um, so it was a gradual process and it took us three years to get from sort of 10 minutes to 10 days together. Um, but it, we did it. Listening is powerful stuff. It is. And thank you. Cause I've been listening a lot during the day and someone asks me a question about my story. I go, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I'm a natural talker trained listener. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. So you talked about different levels of listening. So could you share some of that with us? Yeah, because there's, there's what I would call, um, the first thing you have to do is ask a question about like, what would you like to have happen? So if you are finding the feedback you're getting from somebody else, even from your own system, if your own system is in overwhelm, you're emotional and you're stressed or things people are saying to you is in order to calibrate how you want to respond to it, you have to know what you want. So you have to be able to think to yourself, what would you like to have happen? So the first level is actually reflecting back and actually hearing the words that you're saying and making sure you say what you mean, you mean what you're saying, and you don't be mean to yourself when you're saying it. So you're not in this drama that, you know, oh, well, I'd like to be less sensitive because I'm so useless, I'm pathetic. Well, actually, no, I want to be able to listen to feedback objectively. You know, have it stated as what you want rather than what you don't want. Because if you are talking about what you don't want, it's a bit like going to the supermarket and handing a shopping list to the, super, you know, the shop assistant and saying, I don't want bread, I don't want milk, and I don't want eggs. They're like, 
okay and you, and if you're doing that anything just with self-talk your own brain can't hear you your own brain can't help you so the first thing is to listen to what you're saying and, and so I the seven steps of clarity in my book manager critic from overwhelmed to clarity in seven steps the, the seven step strategy we take people through is you've got to get to the point where the first thing is you've got to be willing to get curious and ask questions you've then got to ask questions of the words that you're using so what do you mean by feedback? What kind of effective is it? So get clear what do you mean by what you're saying, because other people will have different definitions. The amount of times I've worked with teams or families and they say, oh, I want them to be, um, I want them to have some more self-respect. I go, okay, so what, do you, what would you actually hear and see when you see self-respect? And, and, and do you demonstrate that? You know, do you do, is that how you show up? Is that, are you showing yourself self-respect? Are you showing self-respect to them in the same way? Is there, is there a model of this in the home? And often, or in the workplace, um, people are asking for their teams to be more productive, but they're not, they don't know what they mean by what they're saying. So it's like, what would you actually hear and see? How are you going to know when you've got it? So we take them through the process of really clarifying what they mean. And then the sort of the I process part of this, the intention is the drama triangle. Are you coming from a place of victim or, or persecuting somebody or you're trying to help other people out? Or is it what you want? Are you talking about what you want or what you think other people will be OK with? Because if you are asking for what will keep you safe from criticism, the chances are it won't work because it's only got a time level. You can only do that pretending. Some people go a good 30 years. But you can only there is a there is an ex, there is an expiry date, and unfortunately, I think it makes us very poorly, and we can actually impact our health if we're not having what we need and want to work at our best. So the first level is clarity. So you're always checking: Are you saying what you mean? Do you mean what you say? And you're not being mean to yourself when you say it. So that's level one. Once you've got clarity, and I would say 80% of the time, the reason people don't do what they say they're going to do is because they haven't actually taken enough time to be really clear that the story they're telling themselves on the inside is matching the one that's outside. Because some people, particularly like people like me, people can go, are you okay? I'm absolutely great. I'm fantastic. I'm rocking it. And I can sound absolutely on top of the world. I'm a great actress. I'm a great performer. But that doesn't mean that's what's saying in the inside. It is what's happening on the inside for me today and now. Um, and I would say probably in the last four or five years. But there was definitely a time where I could do a great show on the outside, but inside the story was completely different. So that's level one. Level two is really about confidence. And that's about asking questions to model how you do you. So what do you actually need to work, learn and live at your best when you're working independently? What do you need to work, learn and live at your best with other people? What are your needs? So and, and can you ask for those? And so it's helping people to get to know their own patterns, their own triggers, what it is that works for them so that when you're working with yourself and other people, you can work with evidence based feedback. Otherwise, you just run from emotion. If you know yourself well, so I know that one of my triggers was if people used to say to me, shall you talk too fast or you talk too much or you ask too many questions. I know that will trigger me because I know myself well enough so that when I have an emotional reaction, I know why it's happening instead of being a bit like, oh, and putting my whole flight, flight off. I can reassure my system that, you know, this is me doing me and it's okay. But equally, as I got to know what I needed, I realized I needed people to tell me what they liked about me on a regular basis because I hadn't had that. I hadn't had enough of that in, in my childhood. And it always felt a bit needy. I have to be honest with you, it was horrible. It's very uncomfortable actually saying, could you just tell me on a, you know, what works about what I'm doing? And when they tell me that you're lovely, I go, 
what did you actually hear and see that told me I was lovely? Because just lovely isn't something I can repeat. I needed to know what was the action or the thing that I was doing or saying. So it was repeatable behavior. So confidence comes from being able to really understand how you do you and what you need to work at your best and then be able to embed that learning so that you can engage with evidence-based feedback without um, reacting and, and actually get clear what, what you're actually hearing and seeing when it works and what you're hearing and seeing when it doesn't. And then again, I'd say another sort of 10% of work is once you've got those two, generally the way that you react to other people's feedback um, changes because you know what you want and you know yourself really well. And so level three is much more when sometimes we have almost a physiological embedded, embedded um, emotional trigger that can be from trauma in our childhood or something else that's happened that we've forgotten about. And then you need more of a therapeutic listening where someone can allow you to listen to and just experience that feeling again. Now, I'd spent a long time blaming my parents because they don't they don't praise. They talked about we have to go, I have to go and talk to my brother and sister to find out what my mum and dad love about me because they never, never tell it to ourselves. They just talk about us to other people about how wonderful we are, but you'd never, ever get it directly to your face. So I know they liked things, but I never, ever heard it directly from the horse's mouth, so to speak. And what I, I often blamed them for not being people who praised and didn't weren't positive. But what I discovered through one of my therapeutic sessions, and I've completely forgotten it because the trouble with trauma is it we, we delete it. The brain's a really good system. It, it freezes it just before the moment of trauma. So you don't have to relive it again, which is a great strategy. But of course, sometimes it forgets to remind your brain that you were OK after it. And so you end up with this freeze and then all that happens is something similar comes along. It thinks it might happen again. So it triggers this fight, flight or freeze mechanism in you. And you don't know why it's happening because you've forgotten about the trauma, but your body doesn't forget. And so there are some listening that you need to do to be able to heal those parts of you. And I'd completely forgotten. I was about eight years old um, when a group of lads that were my friends had set upon me and they were all, I was on the floor and they were all around me just kicking me. And so, of course, I something ever, ever felt like I was um, someone didn't like me. I didn't realize I was going into this flight, flight or freeze mechanism. where I thought I was going to be physically attacked. And so I'd have this um, I burst into tears over like little things and I didn't understand why. And so sometimes we need that therapeutic listening in order to um, reassure ourselves. Like we, I do a, a five day retreat where people come and they give and receive feedback and they, they criticize somebody else and say, actually, what you're doing is not working for me. And they have to physically experience nobody attacks them that nothing horrible happens when you speak up and ask for what you need. And I'd lived my whole life really too scared to ask for what I want because the, I, I, I don't know what I said or didn't say in that moment, but I've made an assumption now. I did something that wasn't okay and someone kicked the hell out of me. And so somewhere along the line, my brain had gone, don't speak, don't say anything because it'll put you into danger. And I had to visit, I didn't have to revisit the pain of that, but I did need to go through the physical experience of experiencing asking for my needs to be met and not being shamed by it and not being um, put down or laughed off or, you know, just having my needs honoured and witnessed and, and respected. And going through that process, of course, it then updates my system that, <sighs> I'm not eight years old now and I could punch back if I needed to. So that's my story. Fabulous. That's absolutely <laughs> great. So if there's somebody listening to this and they would a want to get hold of your book, maybe, um, or find out more about what you do, or maybe need some assistance and intrigue with the listening, how would they contact you, Cheryl? The best thing to do is go straight to my website, uh, which is www.stepbystepplistening.com. 
um, because you can link from there to my under the resources page you can get to my books um, and you also can click and find me on social media I'm quite an avid Facebook person and I do a little bit on LinkedIn um, so come and connect with me there as well if you want to if you're going to connect on LinkedIn though do send me a little personal message and just say how you heard from me um, because I'd like to get to know people before I just add people to my network um, but yeah Facebook LinkedIn or the website excellent we'll put that information on our website as well that'd be even lovely thank you very much thank you ever so much for sharing your personal story and your passion with us it's been very enlightening <laughs> thank you for your patience it's, um, I've had two interviews today and I came off to my husband just earlier I said I hadn't realized just how I've been reminded actually of the joy that comes when you are really listened to um, because just to have somebody that, that will hold that space in and I haven't told the story very much recently um, and so thank you very much for giving me the, the, the space and time to be heard. Oh, it's been a real pleasure. I find the less that I speak, the better the um, interviews are. <laughs> I, I, I disagree with that because that seems like he's been a bit mean to himself. But anyway, <laughs> I won't allow that story to happen. I, it's, it's been a joy because um, you have given me lots of smiles and nods to encourage me to keep talking. So I thank you for that. And, uh, and I, as I say, I really appreciate your time. Excellent. Thank you. So this has been a podcast for business owners by business owners. Until next time, see you soon. See you then, Cheryl. The Federation of Small Businesses with practical help for business owners such as advice on how to deal with serious negative publicity along with up to £10,000 of insurance to assist you with the major public relations crisis. Any questions, contact me at john.cassidy-rice at fsb.org.uk